Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to The Midpoint with me, Gabby Logan. Now, I guess we're fully into the swing of 2024, so I hope the new year is treating you well. How are those resolutions holding up? Well, someone who's ruled out resolutions in favour of reset moments this year is today's guest, Rosie Nixon, former editor-in-chief of Hello! magazine and now creative consultant, author of three novels and counting, and host of the In A Good Place podcast. We're going to be discussing the events in Rosie's life which prompted her to reinvent her career in midlife and how burnout made her reevaluate what success really means. We're also going to be chatting to Isabel Williams, who has also experienced a bit of a career pivot in midlife. Isabel and I used to work together when she produced TV and radio, but now she works as a psychotherapist. So we'll also be discussing the power of talking therapies. Right now, though, Rosie Nixon joins me in my podcast room. Rosie Nixon, thank you so much for coming to my podcast room. It is great to see you. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, great. 2024 going well so far? It is, you know. Yeah, it's got off to a really good start. The sun's shining brightly, even though it's freezing cold, which just really helps, doesn't it? So I've been able to get outside a lot and that makes a difference in winter. All the things that make us feel good. Apart from, I've noticed like dry skin because you're in central heating too much, aren't you? But anyway, that, we'll put that aside. I, I'm going to get straight into the big topic that you've been talking about recently. You wrote a brilliant article in The Telegraph about what kind of pushed you to make some big life choices. And it's so interesting because the word burnout mm. um, you use to describe that sensation in the last week, and I don't know whether it's the universe sending me these kind of things, you know, you you use that word. I've read about four articles since about mm. kind of how to avoid it and what it means and what it looks like. And then a midpoint listener yesterday got in contact with me and said, please, can you have somebody on to talk about burnout? I'm so worried about how I balance everything in midlife. And it feels like it's going to be a much bigger mm. topic for a lot of people in this period. But your story first. Mm. So you were hugely successful editor in chief at Hello. And things just started to feel overwhelming. Tell us Mm. what was going on. Yeah, well, thanks for reaching out to me as well around that article, because I think it did obviously strike a chord with lots of other midlife women. Um, And I was very careful within that piece as well to say I was on the brink of burnout, because Mm. burnout does have some distinct um, um, characteristics characteristics, Yeah, yeah, that are medically kind of, you know, defined. And um, I had some of those, but not all of them. And I think burnout is a result of chronic stress. Mm. And of course, chronic stress is caused when we don't ever really have a a chance to recharge at all in our busy lives. Mm. And I had been in a role which I absolutely loved for years and years as editor 
editor-in-chief at Hello. I'd been at the magazine for almost 16 years, lived and breathed it, loved it, had my children as well fairly late at 38 and 40. So I've still got children that are pretty young, you know, coming Very up to the age of 10. Yeah. And, and the age of eight. And mothering obviously changes in that time. In some ways, I feel like I'm just getting started on the parenting mm. side. You know, they need me in a different way. And I think and my values had changed as well as an individual. I'm 48 now, so sort of heading towards 50. And it felt as though I was just ready for a new chapter. Mm. I felt spread very thinly within my role. The media world has changed enormously in the time that I've been editing Hello. You know, we've gone from predominantly being a print operation to being a multi-platform media empire, you know, that's available to our audience 24-7 on a multitude of platforms. And there's that sort of hyper kind of being on all the time sort yeah, of feeling. Yeah, gone the days of waiting for a magazine to drop once a week. That's it. People want it all, an insatiable appetite we do. for those stories. And, and yeah. it, you've got to be first and timing is everything. So there's that sense of never being able to switch off, you know, various WhatsApp groups, Slack channels that we had for work and being on it sort of 24-7 and feeling very responsible for a team and for, you know, making key decisions about our editorial direction whenever that was, whether that was 10 o'clock on a Sunday night because a big royal story had broken or when you just put your pen down, you know, at some point in the evening to try and put the children to bed. So I think I was really sort of kind of running on the adrenaline of that for quite a long time, but thriving in lots of ways as well. And everything that I wrote about in that Telegraph article is caveated with, I know that, you know, I, I'm grateful for many aspects of my life, but I think often women, we feel that we should be grateful and that we mm. then just keep carrying on, you know, whereas we're all valid to talk about the struggles that we might be having. And that's very unique to all of us. Mm. So the penny dropping moment for me really was the morning after a very successful event for Hello. It was our Inspiration Awards, which I hosted annually. And I'd hosted it, kind of curated this event obviously alongside the team in-house. And I woke up the next morning. I'd had a late night. I was in a London hotel room, had been there for a couple of nights, had missed calls from the boys the night before. How old are your boys again? Um, they're nearly 10 and 8 yeah. now. Um, so this was not last October, the one before, mm. so October 2022. So like 8 and 6 at the time. Yeah, 8 and 6 at the time. So I woke up and, again, was straight into a whole other day of meetings. We felt behind on my emails. Like I was constantly trying to catch my tail mm. and it hadn't been enjoyable for quite a long time. And I didn't even really have a moment to just take in the success of the event the night before. Mm. And I just had this very physical kind of reaction of looking at my phone, which felt as though it was exploding, that it was red hot, kind of, you know, an alarm was going off from it almost. And I just wanted to throw it out the window and I just couldn't stop crying. It was like a very physical reaction of just sobbing and feeling like I'm just done. That you're still in the hotel room. I can, I'm point. still in the hotel room at this point and I can't, I just can't do this anymore. You know, lots of people have said to me, gosh, it was a brave sort of decision to make to step down from a job that seemed to have it all. But actually, this was the culmination of probably two years of mm. building up to 
that point. And for many women, there is a moment where it just feels like untenable. Mm. And we should say as well, you were in your mid-40s at this point. Yeah, 47, yeah. Which anybody who listens to this podcast will probably know by now. Man or woman who listens will know that that is an age of perimenopause. Exactly. So it wasn't in isolation. I think it's very easy to go, blaming your job being the go-to. But I'm very aware that there are a whole number of factors at play at Mm. that time. I was also suffering with perimenopause symptoms that hadn't been properly diagnosed and even though I'd fronted a campaign on the menopause for Hello and actually you and I were together on a shoot that we did for Clarins to kind of promote Super Restorative which is a range they brought out in promotion of menopausal skin and um, I also fronted the Menopause Workplace Pledge a campaign for Hello and the, and the Charity Wellbeing Women link. but I still <laughs> didn't I was still kind of coping with brain fog mm. sort of coping with night sweats had been quite bad for me um anxiety like I'd never really experienced before and I was interviewing you Gabby for this campaign and Gabby you were sat talking to me about how these symptoms sort of begun at the age of 47 and I was sort of ticking them off saying oh my god yes (laughs) yes yes and I remember I spoke to you at the end and said look everything that you have just described I think I'm perimenopausal (laughs) and it's like this obvious kind of hitting you in the face kind of moment that oh no shit Sherlock kind of thing (laughs) and so and then you actually said to me well maybe you should make an appointment with the doctor and look into what you can can get and I had been before and I had been prescribed antidepressants sertraline and again I blamed everything on my job thinking that was you know why I was feeling so anxious all of the time and that was a bit of it but Mm. it really wasn't everything Mm. so I think for midlife women it's almost like this melting pot Mm of lots of different things going on at the same time, the different challenges that we have as mothers and within our families. And your relationships as well, whether you're in a a marriage or not. There's, you know, there's all those pressures, isn't there? And kind of working out what is the thing. Yeah, and (laughs) often there isn't one thing. It's actually a little bit of everything all coming to a head at that time. And I think the own reality, which is why you've created this podcast, of of it being the midpoint in life. And I think I was also probably thinking, what is my next chapter? I'd felt very defined by a role, um, a working life for a long time Mm. that I was beginning to feel kind of wasn't really exactly who I was now as Mm. an individual. And I think... But you didn't really have time to stop and think about who you were. Yeah, there was no time to Mm. take any kind of moment out to actually put the focus on yourself and think, well, if I'm not happy, you know, what am I going to do about this? Because we're just on this roller coaster and there are lots of balls that we can't ever afford to drop. So that sort of then kind of sparked a whole period of self-awareness, really, and self-discovery. I mean, I, I was unable to actually call the doctor myself at that time when I was in that hotel room. I phoned my husband. I'm very lucky to have a brilliant relationship and long-term relationship. I've been married for 12 years, a very supportive husband, and called him, could barely get a word out. And actually, he probably wasn't really overly surprised because he had seen this building, as it turned out, had other members of my family and even friendship group. Mm. And I'd been sort of saying that I was unhappy about work situation and what could I do about it for so long. And I I didn't want to be a broken record either. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I need to do something, but I'm stuck. I'm scared. I don't know how to take that first step. So my husband actually was very good and said, I'm going to call the doctor because the first step is you just need to rest. 
Um, I spoke to the doctor. It was almost like being a child. I'd never been signed off sick from work, you know, barely taken a day off, didn't actually know how to go about that. So did it just from that moment, that was that was it. You that, didn't, didn't go to the first meeting. You didn't answer the first. That was the end. Well, that so was, I couldn't break, actually yeah. do it. I yeah. did actually that morning. I was having a meeting first thing that morning in the hotel with actually the sister of the owner of Hello who I have worked for, you know, very happily for all this time. She was over in the UK because she'd attended our awards event the day before. And I was meant to be meeting her for breakfast. And I thought, I, I just can't. I look a mess. I don't want to go downstairs in the hotel because I'm just going to, I feel so on the edge. Mm. I'm just going to burst into tears again. That horrible feeling where anything could set you mm. off. So... Actually, and then I sort of had a shower and thought about it and actually invited her to come up to the room because she was only in London for a very limited time. And I opened the door to the hotel room to her and just immediately burst into tears, thought I'd got it together. And she's a woman in her 50s, which again shows the power of women supporting each other. She gave me a huge hug, which obviously made me cry even more, and said it's okay, we can figure this out. And we sat and had a big chat and she was absolutely brilliantly supportive and so I was very very lucky in that I did have a supportive employer mm. because it's not you know a weakness but showing your vulnerability like that mm. is scary and you do feel like you're failing and then the other half of me thought god I'm making a big fuss over nothing but I think it was a a real moment of realisation that stress actually lives in your body. It lives in your nervous system. It affects you physically if you ignore it for long enough and you never give yourself a chance to recharge mm. or take stock. Mm. So I ended up um, having three weeks off work. And in that time, I sort of went for lots of walks, did a lot of thinking. Actually, journaling was quite powerful to me. And I that by that, I mean, I didn't sort of sit with a big notebook by my bed. I journaled on my mobile phone and I created a document called My Future. And in that, I journaled what I found really fulfilling in my life and what were the things that I could maybe look at losing. Mm -hmm. And I had to be really, really honest with myself around my career and my job. And some of the things that I wrote that weren't fulfilling me anymore were quite fundamental to the role of an editor-in-chief of Hello. But it was so liberating to admit this to myself mm. and that it was OK and that the world didn't end mm. because I thought that. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to be another statistic of a perimenopausal woman who leaves the workplace potentially at the height of her career. Mm. You know, the stats show that 25% of women that are suffering with serious or, or menopause symptoms that are having an impact on their ability to go about their daily life, 25% um, of those are leaving the workforce. Mm. And so we're losing this huge amount of talent, mm. perhaps at the peak of their careers in leadership roles, not to be seen again. And I, I really felt I didn't want to be another one of those statistics, but I needed to be doing something that genuinely was fulfilling me and hit all of my values at this stage of my life. And one of those things was to learn again. I think I felt that I'd been doing the same thing for so long that I could sort of do it, but it mm. wasn't fulfilling me and it was exhausting me. So I actually signed up to do a coaching course and I did some retraining. That was just half a day every week for six months it took to do the whole course. And that included um, training sessions with coaches. And I learned so much about myself during that process. And my happiness 
began to kind of come thought, oh, back. What's this feeling? Yeah, just the learning again, <laughs> yeah. being in a group of complete strangers. You know, nobody cared what your role was mm. in the media or anything. Mm. It was all about learning something new together. Mm. And the self-awareness was huge because in coaching, you really dig into your values, your strengths, your needs. Because that's interesting what you say there about your role in the media and it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's a high-profile job or not, you kind of almost have subliminally decided that people must think this about mm. the thing that you do and it looks like it's, you know, a certain way and your lifestyle's a certain way. But actually when you meet a group of strangers who've got no idea what yeah. you do, you, you know, you're going back to your authentic self, That's as you say, it. and you're kind of the, the Rosie that you probably hadn't met for quite a while yeah. and hadn't talked to. Well, the Rosie that just hadn't stopped, basically. And, you know, if you'd looked at my Instagram, you would have seen this sort of person that looked like they were nailing every aspect of their life and that's again partly why I, I wanted to write that piece in the Telegraph because I thought it's really important to remind people that that is never ever a full story. See I, I'm just as an aside this is like a, a little break I have this weird kind of relationship with the Instagram perfect life because there's a bit of me that goes well yeah but people aren't going to post pictures of themselves you know, cutting their toenails and plucking no. their dark hairs, are they? Although you know, I did see somebody plucking their chin hair the other day talking about midlife and I thought, how refreshing. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd want to follow an account where somebody's, you know, overwhelmed by the dishes, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but at the same time, when you flick through the people that you follow, it is, you know, a procession of great images of happiness and joy. And, you you know, in the job that you were doing, it's, if I think of hello and I think of the role that you did, it's like colour, life, mm. you know, vibrancy. And it was, and there are so many opportunities for that. I mean, I was never short of content, you know, every day yeah. there were like yeah. things happening, you know. But actually the real me was then running for the train. You trying know, to get home for the kids' to, sports yeah, clubs. Yeah, exactly. And... Feeling like I'm not properly present and that I'm still half got one eye on a half written email that I've done. If I do make it to school pickup or, and I don't want to be that person, you know, I felt desperately unhappy with myself for being like that but trapped mm. I just didn't know how on earth do I take the first step to get out of this and I think even when I was having those you know weeks of sort of sobbing which I think was hormonal as well because mm. you know I'm now on HRT and I've got a sort of better understanding of what's happening you know to my own body let's go back to time wise yeah because I think people listening to this who start to kind of recognise some of these feelings mm. will wonder how long it took. So yes. the three weeks off, you go back to yeah. the editor-in-chief? No. So basically after the three weeks off, I had I went over to see my boss in Madrid, had a lot of thoughts around what do I want to do, realised that my role had changed a, a great deal within the company and I was working on lots of different projects for the brand and that what I really loved and I'd written down in my future notes was the stuff about inspiring other people, was using our platforms for good and actually being a force for good within the media and creating stories that our audience, which is a lot of midlife women, would really be able to relate to and support mm -hmm. them. And that, you know, things like the Clarence campaign we did around menopause was perfect example of that. Mm. Absolutely loved all of that. Mm, yeah. But the responsibility of putting a magazine to bed every Friday night, being on top of royal news, breaking stories as another layer to what I was doing was not was a big feeding years me anymore. Well. It mean, was a huge It felt like every years. four weeks we're all watching something at Westminster Abbey. So, you That's know, that, it. And that the Queen enormous. had died, you know, yeah. as well the month before I had this kind of moment. So I'd effectively worked every weekend as well and been very you know, involved with that. And actually when the Queen died, I did have this feeling of, I feel like I'm done here too. Really? That it's been a really, you know, a whole, a huge chapter 
but I've probably done my bit. And I think, you know, magazine brands as well, it's good to refresh. And I I did think, when is this going to, how's this going to end? How am I going to move on? So in, in, in knowing what I felt really passionately about, I could then put a business proposal together for my boss. And as I said before, I didn't want to be a stat that just disappeared mm. from the workforce. I felt really, you know, keenly about that and needed to earn money mm. to, to pay the mortgage and everything else. So I put together a proposal and I initially went back three days a week as Hello's Creative Brand Ambassador, focusing on those projects. Mm. Um, and I signed up to do this coaching course, which I then started at the beginning of last year. So yeah, a few months after I'd had the time off work. And it was during the coaching course that I found I really love this. I'm really enjoying these conversations. And actually, all of that experience that I've had in a management role and in the media is so useful to what I do next. Because mm. I think a lot of women often think, but what would I do next? Or, or maybe they've had time out for raising a family. And what is what are my skills? What can I do? I think doing a course like that really built up my confidence and made me see that actually... You've got I had experience. Yeah, we, we, we've reached this age, you know, in midlife, whether you've been raising a family or you've been in the workforce, there are incredible skills there that are useful to other people. So in doing that, I sort of felt, I think this is what I really would like to do. And I need to make this move because I, I just felt I want to enter my 50s on my terms. Mm. And I wanted a bit more autonomy. I think you reach an age as well where you're not prepared to just go along with what somebody else wants you to do mm-hmm. I don't want to have to get somebody's approval if I want a day off work or an extra week because I want to do something with my family I just need to have control over my own life that mm. was really important so went back three days initially uh-huh. and then after the summer of end of last year began to feel like I think I'm ready it's almost like a balancing scale I'd started to do more stuff on my own I'm also an author so I'd written books mm. I was meant to be completing a novel that I'm working on now, my fourth novel, but I never had it still time to do it or headspace. Mm. And that's what I really want to do and I love. Um, so the, the the scales were starting to tip more into, look, I'm kind of doing this stuff on my own. Mm. It's actually not going to be it's so scary saying goodbye to hello. Yeah, yeah, and letting go of that crutch. Yeah. Um, so I had another chat with my boss and actually he came back suggesting maybe I'd be editor at large. So um, I'm now working a day a week for Hello, um, sort of for the next year whilst, you know, they get their plans in place. Yeah. Yeah. And me too. And it feels like a very sort of amicable, grown up way of ending one chapter and starting a new one. I did laugh with my boss and said um, that we could think of it perhaps as our conscious uncoupling <laughs> that term that Gwyneth Paltrow used and she and Chris Martin split because I think actually it's a very good phrase I know it got ridiculed at the time I don't know why really because it is a conscious uncoupling mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah. and it's alright to admit that I've changed as a person in the time that I've been working there but I want to look back on it as a really happy time mm. not a horrible one because of the way it ends and endings are very difficult to navigate often. Yeah. So They're, what you're doing, everybody will feel good and positive about the relationship yeah. when eventually you are fully immersed in the things that you really want to do. And at the moment, that is a range of things. You have your podcast and mm. obviously you say you're an author. You've got the date with Hello as well. Are you now, do you think as well, getting the other things in life that you really wanted to, to have time for with regard to your family oh, and your own 
personal time, your hobbies? And, yeah. You know, what, what, what does that look like? Well, obviously, boundaries are a big thing. I mean, I'm sure you could do a whole episode on boundaries yeah. and they are still a work on, in progress because I am a very driven person. I like being busy. That is sort of part of my personality. But I'm having to work daily to keep those boundaries in place because I don't want to now suddenly fill up my life and so that it's going at 200 miles an hour again. But, you know, already I know that my stress levels have gone right down because I'm only doing what I love. Mm. And I go back to that note on my phone that I have there permanently to just check in if I ever feel like, you know, is this opportunity really aligned with what I really want to do for this next chapter? Mm. And I find it much easier now to say no to things. I always think that a quick no is always better than a sort of tentative yes. Mm. Um, and I am... Because it's gone then, isn't it? I find that if you say, no, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm I'm doing something. Yeah. Um, I can't do that. And actually, uh, you know, rather than thinking, can I move that thing so I can fit that thing in? No, it's gone then. Yeah, you know, it's rather... gone. Then. And you've given clarity to the other person yeah. as well. It's kind of best all round, I think. Yeah. And also I'm, I'm much more aware of what I want this next chapter to be and I'm not going to compromise that because I know it will affect my physical health mm. if I don't listen. So, yeah, so boundaries are still a work in progress, but I'm around for the kids so yeah. much more, which brings me so much joy. I'm properly present with them. I'm not rushing in. And they sense that from mm. you, you know. Have they, you noticed them change? Well, I know they cheered, actually, when I said what I was thinking with regards really? to hello. Yeah, they both cheered. So, and that sort of said everything to me. Yeah. Because the other thing that I realise is that your job won't thank you at the end of the day, but your family will, which was a really big one. The other thing that you touched on in your article is that, you know, we are part of a generation and perhaps a generation ahead of us as well were part of that movement of you can have it all and the kind of feelings of guilt well if I can't have it all then how you know what was what was all that for you know why did I why did I sacrifice or why did I do all yeah. those things and and I think it's that balancing act that our our when I say our generation I think probably uh, people a little bit older and maybe people a little bit younger as well have have had to kind of work their way through where mm. I th think the younger generation yeah. are certainly from what I read the millennials are going no hang on a second I'm not, we're doing, not doing that, that. <laughs> yeah. well I think they're much more aware of yeah self-care as well self-compassion and giving them and their mental health mm. you know and again we didn't even consider that when we started off in the world of work or the impact that that could have on us um so yeah I think definitely that the idea of you can have it all just you can't I mean and what does that even mean yeah. anyway and also success as well I did a lot of thinking around what does success mm. mean to me and mm. at one stage in my life it did mean working my way up to editor and earning mm. a certain amount but well now my success is completely tied into my happiness mm. And being around for the people that care about me and doing things that are authentically right for me. Mm. But until you really get to know yourself and mm. ask yourself the difficult questions. Well, you're almost judging your own success against what you think the perceived kind of yeah. value is in society, aren't you? Rather than actually and asking that's yourself. that's always going to be unfulfilling. Mm. Yeah. And now, actually, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks because yeah. I'm really happy in my own little world. Yeah. You There's know? always going to be somebody who's got more, who's yeah. doing more, who's got, you know, so if you if that's the way you judge your life, you're never ever going to hit a point no. that that makes you happy. You're not. Yeah. yeah. And also that realisation that change is possible. And I know that any changes we make 
have to be deeply rooted in reality because, you know, we are in a cost of living crisis and it's really hard for a lot of people. So I'm not suggesting we all just give up the jobs that we hate. You know, it has to be a long process. And Mm. for me, it was two years. Mm -hmm. And then hitting that breaking point, actually, you know, I now and I refer to it in that piece as not a breakdown, but a breakthrough because it actually gave me a way to sort of navigate it. But ideally, you wouldn't reach that point where you can't stop sobbing or hold a conversation. But I'm sure you released a lot. Oh, I did. I mean, it was cathartic, even going for these walks. And I listened to various podcasts, yours included, and did a lot of walking. And I got outside and sometimes with nothing, you know, just Mm. letting those thoughts come. And it's amazing what comes to you when you actually have that space. And Mm. that feels like a luxury. And Mm. In today's world, you know, it's very, very hard to ever get time to focus just on, on you. you. Did you have any formal kind of therapies? Or? No, I didn't. I had, well, I had coaching, actually. So I guess that is a form mm. of therapy. I didn't go and speak to a therapist. I spoke to my doctor and I am very lucky in that, as I mentioned before, I have a brilliant relationship with my husband who was great. He's a very emotionally in touch man. And mm. so I had lots of conversations with him and I shared with my friends. I actually went down to Cornwall with a group of girlfriends the weekend after I'd had that sort of breakdown. It had been the diary for a long time and half of me thought I can't go. And again, when my friend met us at, at the airport, we flew down to Newquay. I just burst into tears on her immediately and said, look, it's don't one anyone of those ask how I am. <laughs> yeah. But it was amazing. We went swimming in the sea and we kind of did all these nourishing things. Yeah. And uh, and that was so helpful to share it. And everybody had some way of relating yeah. to my story. Of course. You know? yeah. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Well, we are going to speak to our expert today who is immersed in the area of of talking therapies. Um, She is Isabel Williams, and I'm delighted to introduce you to. Um, (laughs) Isabel and I go back a long way, and in her previous incarnation, she was a brilliant producer of radio and television. In fact, the last thing we worked on was a documentary called One Day in May. I think that was the last thing we worked on, Isabel. I think it it was, yes. I think it was. That was back in 2015. So it was a little while ago now. Yeah, that was the the story of the the Bradford fire and survivors and families uh, we interviewed um, who had experienced the horrors of that day. 
Um, but you've done all kinds. I mean, that makes it sound like you did only did serious work. We did a lot of fun things together, Isabel, yeah, didn't we? Fun things, yes, we did. <laughs> but we now did. I meet Isabel Williams, psychotherapist. So mm-hmm. that is a, a very big pivot in midlife, a big mm. career change in midlife. So before we get into talking therapies, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you came to make that switch of career? I really identified with so much Rosie said there. <laughs> this business about feeling that we should be grateful and just carry on, that really resonated with me, this idea that that, that this is your life, this is your job. And I did love what I did. I did love it. And there was a long, long dovetail between the two careers because training as a psychotherapist, it took me five and a half years to do that. So um, there was a massive sort of dovetail between the two careers. But one of the catalysts for it was making that film, actually, Gabby, that One Day in May film, because as part of it, as, as you well know, we talked to a lot of survivors of the fire. 56 people died in that terrible fire back in 1985, which, if nobody knows about it, it was one of the worst disasters in a football ground ever. And uh, in the space of about four minutes, the one entire stand, which was full of people, burned to the ground. It was the most astonishingly awful disaster. But the people of Bradford don't talk about it very much, and they keep themselves to themselves. And you were there, weren't you, Gabby? You were a a young child in that stand. And very lucky to have survived you and your family. And when we made that film, I particularly remember sitting with a, with a gentleman who was, I think, in his 60s. He had never spoken to anybody, anybody at all, about what had happened to him and sat down and interviewed him. And I can remember that I asked him one question, one question, and he spoke for 42 minutes without stopping. This is a man who'd never spoken publicly or even to his family, really, about what had happened that day. And what had happened is that he'd lost his father. He was in the stand with his father. He went, ran out of the stand to get some help, and he turned back, and his father had died in the stand. And this made me think, oh, my goodness, there's, there's a lot of pain out there, isn't there? There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of untold, unspoken pain. And I thought... Hmm, I did this, you know, I did this interviewing thing. Maybe I could be a psychotherapist. And it's something that occurred to me years before, but I thought, no, not while my kids are, not while my kids are growing up. It's something for, for when I'm older. And I guess I was, what, well, I was 50 in, in 2015. I'm now 15, 59 in a couple of weeks. And um, I thought, oh, I could really do this. So I, I went and did an introductory course uh, in psychotherapy a sort of introduction to the idea and notion of becoming a a psychodynamic psychotherapist. And um, I did this for six months and very, very quickly realised that I had absolutely no idea what a psychotherapist did, no idea whatsoever that I needed to to really think about if I wanted to go through the whole training, which is four years, four years to become a a psychotherapist. And I, um, I decided I was going to do it. I had to go and try and get therapy myself because I'd never had therapy. I'd never gone for psychotherapy myself. And I think that one of the, one of the key things was, and I look back on this now in, t- in one of two ways, is that um, I was actually talking to a friend, of, a friend of mine about this the other day and I was, who was also a psychotherapist. And I said, you know, I don't think I ever thought um, that I needed therapy until I started training to become a psychotherapist. And 
it's a course requirement, of course, to have mm. weekly, twice weekly psychotherapy for the, throughout your entire training. And I, I said to her, and I think I was tremendously arrogant, I said, to think that I didn't need it. Because it became very apparent very quickly <laughs> that I really did need to talk to somebody. I'd never talked to anybody about anything, about my life, about my, you know, all the, all the issues that I, that I realise I have been dealing with for all of my life. And, and my friend said, well, there's another way of looking at there. There's a kind of feminist way of looking at it about reframing it. And it's that actually you didn't think you deserved it. You didn't think you deserved therapy. And I think mm. this really comes back to what you said earlier, Rosie, about, about this idea that we should just be grateful and carry on, that this is how life is, that, that we always have to put on a brave face. We always have to be good at everything, be there for our kids, be there for our partners, be there for work. And I mean, goodness me, your job sounds, sounded like it was crazy. I was thinking about you when the Queen died, sort of sitting there thinking, I think, you know, how am I going to do this? So, and that's all the, also this business about being very, def, feeling very defined by a role. Mm. And after I worked with you on that film, Gabby, I did a couple more films uh, for BT Sport and I actually went back into series producing for um, telly. And I remember I got to the point in one particular project where I walked off it because I, I thought I can't cope with this. I was travelling backwards and forwards to Landudno and I thought I am the oldest swinger in town. I really am. All these young people I was working with and however much experience you feel you have, however much you feel you still have to offer the role, you still have to feel comfortable in that. You still have to be able to love yourself in that situation and and the other thing that you mentioned also, Rosie, which really resonated with me, this boundaries. I'm sorry, Gabby, but in television and radio, there are no boundaries. <laughs> you, you will always be called at two o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning or message. I'm sure loads of people in other industries will really identify with this. Mm-hmm. And I thought I, I need to find something different to do, mm-hmm. something that feels, I used to joke with a friend of mine that, that it felt dignified you know, I want to find something dignified to do. And psychotherapy seemed like a kind of dignified thing to do. I have to say, looking back on all of that now, that I just love it. I love the work. And it has nothing to do with it being dignified. And it has nothing to do with thinking I can extract wonderful interviews out of people. And it has nothing, you know, really what it is all about is about relationships and understanding how I relate to people. By the way, I still have therapy every week. I don't think I could cope without it now because I, I'm, I rely on it so much. But it's also about, it's the privilege and the pleasure of getting to know people and getting to know people, and I'm sure you can relate to this as a coach, Rosie, getting to know people in a way that strips away all, all, of, the, all of that life that they built up around them, that kind of mm. crust that's, that's on us all from our lives and our people's, other people's expectations of us and trying to kind of get underneath that and understand what they really need, might need to talk about or mm. need to share or might need you to know. And I'm sure your patients are very uh, ranging in age and, you know, obviously it's not just a midlife thing, Isabel, that you, you deal with. I wanted to talk to you, though, specifically about whether or not you find that 
older people have got a reticence and a a reluctance to take on board therapy? Do they think it's too late? You know, do they think, oh, well, I've coped until now. So talking to somebody is not going to help. I think I think that's very true. Um, Interestingly, Jung, Carl Jung, thought that it didn't matter how old you were, you could still benefit from therapy. Freud thought the opposite. <laughs> he thought that, that and if you're over 40, you shouldn't bother. Really? Um, yes, um, I tend towards, I'm not a Jungian, but I tend towards his view of things in that it really doesn't matter. You're never too old to find some space. Yeah. Finding some space is, is terribly hard. It's particularly hard for women. And as you get older, this feeling of, of not deserving space, it, it, especially in generation, the generation older than me, so say 15, 20 years older than me, very reluctant to take up any space at all. Mm. And um, I've had some very, very courageous people come to me in their 60s and 70s, and I don't think I've had a patient over 80 yet, but it, it takes an enormous amount of courage. And some of, many of them have been through a life change. So I had one patient who is... She's no longer alive, she, but she came when, after her daughter died. So she had this life change and she felt uh, unmoored by it. Everything that she had held dear and, and, and taken for granted just sort of fell away. And I think it was an enormous privilege to work with her. And she was able to take quite a lot, really, just from the experience of having somebody bear witness to what an extraordinary life she had led. Mm-hmm. She was in the care of medical professionals who, for whom she was just another old lady. She had very poor health. And we actually met on Zoom because she wasn't able to get up to into my consulting room. She, was, she had to do it at home. And I felt very honoured and privileged to know her for the last sort of year of her life. I feel tremendously fascinated by the idea that you can... It's just never too late. It's never too late to... F- find some joy in having a relationship with somebody who will just be there for you and just listen to you and make space for you. And that is something that, that a lot of people go through their entire lives not, not experiencing. Without judgment, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you might have people in your life who you think you can talk to and a friend or, but obviously there's, there's yeah. not that sense of them being no judgment, is there? Because people mm-hmm. always feel they've got to give an answer, don't they? They've got to mm-hmm. give a solution if you're somebody that's a problem solver or yeah. somebody who wants to make everything okay. So can you explain what a psychotherapist does that is different then to a great friend? Yes, that. The non-judgmental side of things is, is, is 100%. You have to, I mean, nobody can be 100% non-judgmental. We have our, our, our lives. Biases you know, and believe, our preconceptions. Yeah, our biases, yeah. our preconceptions. But as a psychotherapist, you're taught to be very alive to your own, to what's going on for you when you're sitting with a, with a patient. So there's the, the sort of um, ability to, our training tra- trains us to be kind of alive to our own, what's going on for us in the sessions so that we can kind of filter out and think about what might be going for us, what might be going on for the other person. Um, As a psychodynamic psychotherapist, which is a very rather peculiarly British form of psychotherapy, um, (laughs) it's based on unconscious processes. We work a lot with unconscious processes and it's to do with, if you like, relationships from very young age that have, have these reverberations through our lives. So we'll find ourselves pairing up with partners who recreate 
some mm-hmm. dysfunctional relationship that we had with a parent. It's 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 astonishing how how far this reverberates down people's mm-hmm. lives. And the psychotherapy enables, in a sense, it makes some space for one to think about, for mm-hmm. the patient to think about these things with another mind in the room. It's as if we're creating a liminal space between us in which we can both think. It's like a, an auxiliary mind, if you like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isabel, it's been really great to see you again and to, to yes. hear what, what you're doing and how psychotherapy works. And also I think the important takeaway there is that it's never too late mm. because a lot of people compartmentalise the hurt and they compartmentalise those relationships that may have uh, predicated behaviours that they keep on repeating. And as you say, to even just have some peace towards the end of your life is is a great thing. I say just, that's a great thing, isn't it? So thank you for explaining that. And uh, congratulations on an excellent midlife pivot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. So that was Isabel. I feel like I need a psychotherapist now. <laughs> Definitely. Somebody just like her, in fact. Well, it is, I think, that important difference, isn't it, between somebody who you can, and we both, I think, are very blessed to have husbands who we communicate yeah. with a lot and listen and have ideas. But um, they know us really well. Yeah. So sometimes there is... That a, lack of judgment yeah. is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I've had, you know, I have been through various talking therapies over the years and it is a very different space. Yeah. And the last time I did it was to do with something that happened to my dad. And I thought, oh, I don't need to do yeah. this. But the guy who'd been helping my dad said, we'd like you to have some, mm. you know, we're going to offer you some therapy. And I just found myself, only six sessions, but the first three... I just couldn't believe the emotion that was coming out. And I'd gone there going, oh, this, I'll do one, you know, it'll be all right. Yeah. So it is a it is a very different space. I and think, that is too. so healthy, isn't it? Having the ability to get all of that out. Because yeah. as we all know, there's so many voices in our own heads, you know, that can often sabotage our thoughts as yeah. well, mm. you know. So to be able to get those out in a safe space, somebody that's not judging you. I definitely am open to therapy and it, and it is something I've considered and probably will do at some point, I think, because it is very different to coaching. Mm. Coaching's more about a growth mindset and mm. about what you're going to do next, mm. whereas obviously lots of people have therapy in tandem with coaching because therapy looks back. Mm. And I think you need to understand that part of your own story mm. to enable you to move forward. Mm. Um, coaching's much more practical about you know what you're going to do next. Mm. And you're still coaching. I am, yeah. I've got a few coaching clients. I think it won't be something that I spend all of my time doing that, but I've learned so much. It's definitely, I want to keep up that experience and I'm going to further my training and coaching next year. Mm. So I, I need to focus on getting my novel finished this year and then I'm going to perhaps go back to some more What's training. What's about? The so the novel is the third book in the series, The Stylist, that I write. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it is completely different. I mean, again, actually, that's a sort of form of therapy for me, my writing. Um, and writing is quite a therapeutic mm. process. And actually, the piece that I wrote for The Telegraph was therapy for mm. me to be able to write it. So I feel very lucky as a writer to have that extra tool as a way of processing the world. Well, and the as emotions. you mentioned, 
mentioned earlier, journaling for people who feel yes. they can't, you know, oh, I'm not a writer, but actually anybody can journal. Yeah, and it could just be notes, as I say, on your phone. Often what puts people off is this thought of I've got to journal last thing at night and first thing in the morning and I can't build that into my day and it doesn't feel authentic to me to do it like that. But actually it could just be a note form on your phone. Mm. And so, yeah, but my novel writing, it's a romantic comedy, sort of w women's contemporary fiction. It's about a girl called Amber Green who is a stylist. So it's set in the fashion world. Um, so it's very much a world that I'm familiar with through all of my experience at Hello Again. All of that experience is never wasted. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really enjoying writing it. Yeah, this in this so anybody book. who's listening who hasn't um, is waiting for the third, obviously, <laughs> it'll be coming soon. But if you haven't read it, go and read uh, books yeah. one and two. So the yeah. trilogy. And will the trilogy be, will it be complete at this point? It will that? be complete right. then. Yeah. And I it, I always felt there were three Death books. Death by Cashmere for Amber? Yeah. Or, you know, what <laughs> no, happens? exactly. There's a whole load of drama over more dresses. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's about being under the influence, this one I'm calling it. The stylist oh. under the influence because it's about the influencer world. Mm -hmm. And actually fashion's pretty much gone full circle in the time that I've been writing the books because when I wrote the first book which was set during award season one award season between Los Angeles and London it was all about dressing to kill on the red carpet and you know smoke and mirrors and high glamour and looking absolutely untouchably you know incredible and perfect mm. yeah and now we've come full cycle well actually the role of the stylist and Amber is actually a sort of therapist stroke stylist because she gets very involved with her clients lives and in order to make them shine on the red carpet or, or going about their lives they've got to really understand who they are inside so it's almost now about drawing out the authentic personality of the star that she's working with so that they can radiate and be mm. successful in their professional life do you miss any of that kind <laughs> of uh, overt glamour of you know, and you still got yeah. your toe dipped in the water, and you're a very yeah. glamorous woman. Your life still looks incredibly exciting and glamorous, but that was a different level, I imagine, when you're yeah, going to receptions was, with Joan then, Collins one day and yeah. Rod Stewart the next. Well, I've made so many good friends. I in don't the know industry. why I those two. But well, that, that is a good random. two to pick. Yeah, <laughs> and Joan, I've become very good friends with, and we go out for our lunches, and it's really lovely. And actually, I learn so much from her every time I meet her. Give us a piece of Joan Collins' wisdom. Well, then. do you know what? When I was telling her that I was thinking about all of this with my career she it then instigated a really interesting conversation between us where she told me that she got the role of Alexis Carrington when she was 47 yes. so she had a midlife moment well, you need to have her on the podcast boost. yeah yeah and she actually that then became the role that defined her yeah. career because everybody first and foremost thinks of Alexis yeah, when yeah, you think of yeah. Joan Collins and so she, she had a midlife remember, moment or I've heard her talk about this a little bit she wasn't kind of you know on her a-game at that point in terms of career yeah. was she she wasn't in everybody's no. mindset so she could have just kind of her career yeah. could have fizzled out it could have done yeah and that was a really career defining time and so I found that really fascinating and she's somebody that's always refused though to be defined by age she mm. defies you know age she's ageless and she's very you know she's the person that in hello we would never write her age because she hates that and I, full respect to her and I've always respected that and would you know uphold her wish 
Um, so I think that's really fantastic. We do have this. Um, I've noticed with one of my very good friends who's a bit younger than me, uh, spent a bit of time with her recently, and she's very obsessed with, I think because she's getting towards 50, whenever we talk, she, how old is she? Yeah. How old is she? <laughs> and she'll sh- show me a picture of her. How old is she? Yeah. And I think there is that comparison thing, isn't there? Well, it's great to have inspiration, women yeah. like you. And, you know, so I actually feel so excited about turning 50 now. And Kirsty Gallagher, who's a mutual friend of both of us, you know, she and I are the same age and we've all, well, she's a bit younger, actually. I pretend I'm the same age. She's six months younger. That we're turning, you know, 48 and uh, then it will be 49. And, and now I'm actually feeling like I am looking forward to my 50s now because I have made that decision that this is going to be the new chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like the beginning of something. I love that term, the second yeah. spring that is yeah, often yeah. used to describe the menopause time, yeah. perimenopause time, that it feels like a second spring, that I'm actually only just getting started on this that feels like a really good place for us to finish our chat I mean I'd love to just gossip a little bit about <laughs> all the secrets you must have well about... you have to read the next book because okay. obviously although it's hidden? all fiction it's all fiction I assure you I couldn't help but sort of be inspired by some of the situations or things that I might have heard about so it's really nice to have a creative outlet for that yeah well you said you, you said you um, obviously you're writing about the glamour um, but in terms of missing all of that let it carry on without oh, you. The world give me my turning. slippers any day. I'm <laughs> such a homebody. And I really, I always have been. <laughs> and I'm so happy being at home. But yeah. I'm, I'm working for Gold Collagen as well, which is the other brand. So I'm still, we're attaching celebrities to the brand. There's lots of exciting plans for that. So I've still got the one toe. Yeah, I think I'll always need that because it is fun. And also, Rosie, I think you were so synonymous with that role for so long. It takes people a long time to yeah. kind of think that you're something else. Yeah, you know, and I'm still editor at large. So yeah. I'm still host, yeah, In A Good Place, which is the podcast I host for Hello. I interview lots of people in the public eye on that. We've got another series coming coming up that's actually going to be with business leaders coming up soon, a collaboration with Marks and Spencer, which I'm very excited about. So there are still lots of things coming from the Hello Camp, so which is really nice. That. It sounds great. Well, it's been brilliant having you here. And thank you so much for talking so candidly and openly about what it felt like to, to almost reach burnout. Because um, as I say, I've had a listener just yesterday asked for an episode on this very topic and I think it will really resonate oh well thanks Gabby you know I, as I said to you at the beginning I'm such a believer in the power of sharing our stories so if it's inspired anybody listening then that's a real win best of luck thank you Well, I really appreciated Rosie's honesty because it's hard to speak about the times you felt most vulnerable. And I thought it was quite profound when she said, your job will never thank you, but your family will. Hers clearly are. I also think Isabel's view that it's never too late to make some space for yourself is a really important point to keep in mind. And I value your feedback as well. So please do leave a rating or a review if you enjoyed this episode. And you can also join our Facebook page, The Midpointers. That's The Mid.Pointers. And let us know any guests or topics you'd like to hear on the podcast. A huge thanks again to Rosie Nixon and Isabel Williams. And thanks to Spiritland Creative and most importantly to you for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday. See you then. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.